Well, good morning again, everyone. And um, yes, we are continuing on our series on repentance and confession, our, seri our series of the disciplines of the Spirit. Um, last week, we looked at how the Spirit leads us in true repentance from our old way of thinking, caught in an endless cycle of sin, and how when we truly repent, we can have new life, free from sin, back in relationship with God, and how all this is made possible, not by anything we have done, but by what Jesus did on the cross. So we're not gonna lay that foundation again, but we're going to move on to maturity as we read from Hebrews last week. So, you know, do we even have to think about sin again? We are saved, we're promised unlimited forgiveness, sin is dealt with. So do we even have to worry about it? Do we have to think about it at all? Well, if you turn to Romans 6, um, we're going to get the answer to that. So Romans chapter 6. And starting at verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Jesus died to set us free from sin, not so that we could keep on sinning. We saw last week that whenever we read in the Bible about repentance, we have to look at the context. The listener is being asked to change their mind, so we always have to look and see what is it that they're being asked to change their mind about. Last week, we looked at examples of um, non-believers being asked to repent, to radically change their mind, their way of life because of what Jesus did and enter back into relationship with God. So that's, if we think of that kind of as a foundational repentance, our repentance bringing salvation, bringing new life, restoring that relationship with God and giving us that new identity as sons of God. But we also see times in the New Testament where believers are asked to repent. We can see a whole series of examples of that in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, where John commands the churches to repent. So he's speaking to believers in the church. To the church in Ephesus, he wrote, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, Repent and do the works you did at first. To the church in Pergamum, um, there were some who held to the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans and John told them to repent from this. The church at Thyatira were told to repent for tolerating Jezebel. 
and the church at Sardis were told they had a reputation for being alive but were in fact dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. So we see there is an aspect of repentance that is ongoing. When addressing the churches in Revelation, John finished by saying, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Spirit calls the church to repent, but are we listening? If we believe teachings or a gospel which minimises the need for and the importance of repentance and a holy life, it's not the gospel taught in the Bible. You know, the New Testament is so full of scriptures exhorting us to do away with sin and grow in likeness to Jesus. Whenever I was working through this, I actually struggled to pick out, you know, the best ones, the most um, pertinent ones, because there was just so many passages that were calling us to a holy life to become more like Jesus and to put off sin. We have 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Ephesians 4 and 22. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through sinful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and in true righteousness and holiness. You know, we received the Holy Spirit when we became Christians. He lives in us. Our body is described as a temple of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of our body, it wasn't designed for sin. It was actually designed to glorify God. And we are now restored to that. We are now children of light, not of darkness. The Bible says, what fellowship? has light with darkness. You know, we have a completely new identity, so we should put off anything to do with our old identity. You know, darkness and light should be completely separate. So let us walk as children of light, and we're God's children, so let's start acting like it. The Bible also talks about the fruit of repentance. John the Baptist and Jesus both said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. This fruit is evidence that true repentance has occurred. You know, something will naturally grow when the seed of life and the spirit has been planted within us. He will put his laws into our minds and write them on our hearts. So by our original repentance, we are justified. We are declared right and in right standing with God. That is our new identity. Nothing changes that. But we are sanctified by ongoing repentance. In the Greek, sanctification means holiness. We are called to holiness. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. But humans can't make themselves holy, or we can't sanctify ourselves on our own. We see that sanctification only comes through the Holy Spirit. 
In 1 Peter, Peter addresses the believers who have been exiled and he says, in the sanctification of the Spirit. Let's read um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 to 17. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our, by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. We see again there the sanctification coming by the Spirit, and we are to establish ourselves in every good work and word. If we turn then to Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter three. Um, looking at verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we thank God that we don't have to do it on our own and from our own efforts, but we have the Holy Spirit of God working inside us to transform us. So just as our salvation comes through the Spirit, our ongoing sanctification comes through the Spirit as well. So we're talking about the disciplines of the Spirit. So that was, that's the Spirit part, but there is also a discipline part. You know, the Holy Spirit is not just going to change and transform us without any active participation from ourselves. You know, if we just lie about on the sofa, we're not just going to miraculously um, be transformed um, into someone who is more like the character of Jesus. It requires discipline. In Second Peter chapter 1, um, in verse 5, it says... For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. You know, it doesn't just end at salvation. We are to supplement our faith with virtue. And further on in verse 10, it says, Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. So we supplement our faith with virtue. You know, that doesn't do away with the fact that our salvation came through faith. And we are to be diligent in confirming our calling. You know, it doesn't in any way um, negate our calling. You know, we are called, we, are, we still have that identity as called children of God, but we are be, to be diligent in confirming our calling. We're commanded in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, 
walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So there is an aspect of discipline. We have to be diligent. You know, what is discipline? What do you think of when you hear the word discipline? It's from the Latin meaning instruction and training. So discipline is to study, it's to learn, train and apply a system of standards. Discipline is not rules, regulations or punishment. It's not compliance, obedience or enforcement. It's not rigid, it's not boring or always doing the same thing. Discipline is not obedience to someone else's standards to avoid punishment. It's learning and applying intentional standards to achieve meaningful objectives. So discipline is a choice. It's your choice. It's a decision. Better yet, it's all of your decisions. Again, that was just something I found online when I was kind of looking at this concept of discipline and I thought it was really good. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's all your decisions. So when we look at that in a spiritual context, spiritual discipline is making all of our decisions in the light of the sacrifice of Jesus. Because we love him and by the spirit we are being made like him. You know, my desire and my goal is to draw closer to the Father and become more like Jesus. Therefore, I will embrace the process of repentance in order for that to happen. Do you know, if I want to run a marathon, I need to train consistently. I will make the decision to go running even if I don't feel like it because I have my gaze focused on an end goal. Stefan will probably laugh at that because I have been trying to do a bit of running kind of since lockdown started and he's always the one when I'm like, oh, I don't feel like going out. He's like, no, consistency is the key and he's the one that encourages me um, to go out and keep running. Um, you know, I don't have an ambition to run a marathon, but um, you know, if you want to be a runner, you have to keep running. <laughs> um, so if we have our gaze focused on an end, goal you know we will be consistent we'll keep making the decision to do something even if it's difficult even if it's hard and thankfully you know we have the holy spirit as well and in that context i was thinking the holy spirit's kind of like a coach you know encouraging us guiding us helping us along every step of the way you know he's always there um just readily available to guide us in every situation if we would only listen we read about this context of, you know, a race that we are running in Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, the devil wants to distract us from our purpose to weigh us down to tie us up with sin so that we are not effective in this world. We are to glorify him and to proclaim his kingdom on earth. And we can't do that if we are bound up in sin, shame and fear, and the devil knows it. We saw that effect of sin in the garden. Straight away there was hiding, there was that sense of shame and the human instinct of cover-up. So let's be wise and give no opportunity to the devil. You know, let's not even give him a foothold in our lives. David said two weeks ago, God cannot transform, transform what we do not acknowledge. And that's where confession comes in. Confession in the original Greek means to acknowledge or to fully agree. 
we acknowledge or fully agree that we have sinned against God. And we thank God that we read in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, the devil will lie to us and tell us that we have done the wrong thing and we are disqualified from our relationship with God. But that is a lie because of what Jesus did on the cross. We acknowledge our sin in the confidence that our full and free forgiveness is available through Jesus' blood being shed. The devil wants us in the dark, but we are children of light, come into the light. How do we disarm the schemes of the devil? Confess, you know, we got it wrong, maybe really, really wrong, but let's be real with God, you know, hold our hands up and surrender and get back and step with him. And if we make that our regular practice, we will never stray too far from walking in step with God. But if we neglect confession before we know it, we have wandered completely off track and worse still, hurting other people along the way. So if we are really serious about getting rid of sin in our lives, because we are commanded to do so, but also because we want to make an impact for God in this world, we're going to want to look at the most effective way to do this. So if we turn to James chapter 5 verse 16. And it says, Therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power while it is working. So that's one of the most effective forms of confession. It's in community and it also leads to great power. You know, John Wesley, he strongly believed this in the early days of Methodism. And he took that verse in James 5, 16 so seriously that he set up these bands of five people to practice confession to one another. And again, I read about um, this um, online on a Methodist website. It said, Methodists gathered together because they were convinced that growth in holiness was most likely to happen in community by watching over one another in love. Early on in his ministry, Wesley believed community was so important to the pursuit of holiness that he criticised the isolated individual's pursuit of holiness as similar to pursuing holiness through the practice of idolatry. He wrote, Directly opposite to this is the gospel of Christ. Solitary religion is not to be found there. Holy solitaries is a phrase no more consistent with the gospel than holy adulterers. The gospel of Christ knows no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. So it's this concept of, you know, we become holy in community. And then these band meetings, it says of the band meetings that the purpose of them was not to shame one another or heap guilt and condemnation on one another. On the contrary, in telling each other the truth about their lives, particularly where they had fallen short, Methodists brought each other to the bottomless wells of God's amazing grace. They sought to drench one another in God's healing grace 
so that they could experience freedom from all that kept them from complete freedom in Christ. You know, just as in the Old Testament, when we look back at that system, we saw that there was sacrifices for individuals, but there was also sacrifices for the community as a whole. You know, and we too have a joint responsibility to guard the body, the church, the family of believers from sin. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know, we're all in this together. There's not one of us who is perfect. You know, God wants a holy church. So let's, you know, let's pull together. Let's help each other and guard the body against sin. There's such power in confessing our sins to one another. We disarm the devil. He wants us to believe the lie that the sin we are hiding is too great to be forgiven. That if anyone else knew, we would not be accepted. But the power of Christian community is this, that if we have experienced the forgiveness of God and repented from our sins and had our eyes open to how hopelessly wretched and entangled we were, you know, as we read about or learnt about that last week, you know, we are so wretched, we're so entangled in sin, you know, not one of us um, can sort that out on ourselves. It's only by the grace of God. You know, how great the grace and mercy we received from God you know, when we truly have recognised that in ourself, when someone comes to us and confesses or repents, we don't respond from a place of judgment. For we know that it is only by God's grace that we can stand. And therefore, we will be willing and able to extend an assurance of forgiveness. Whether that's someone coming to God for the first time and repenting for their salvation or whether that's our brother or sister in Christ who's been struggling with a particular sin. You know, there's just, there's so much power in that. We can, you know, and we should confess our sins to God in private and forgiveness is available, but there's something powerful in actually speaking it out to someone else. You know that you're truly bringing it into the light. The fear that binds is done away with because the sin is no longer hidden. And I think that's something that we really don't do in church today, or we don't certainly do enough of it. Of course, we should be ready to apologize in our relationships if we feel, you know, we've been a bit snappy with someone or lost our patience. You know, we should say sorry. Um, and, you know, we are told to do this in the Bible. It's important. You know, if your brother sins against you and he repents, you must forgive him. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. But, you know, it's so much more than just being polite and saying sorry when we've offended someone. It's more about the hidden sin and those, those bad attitudes um, that we have, you know, the ones that we're most reluctant to acknowledge. But those are the ones that have the most power to hold us captive and we need to confess them. You know, on the surface, we maybe... You know, we're, we're courteous and we're kind and we're civil to one another, but maybe in the deep part of our hearts, you know, we do have something against our brother and sister. You know, we need to deal with that. We need to acknowledge that. Richard Foster, in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, 
conveys the story of how he longed for more power to carry out the work of God as a pastor. He says he wasn't feeling particularly um, kind of burdened by a specific sin, but God led him in the act of confession nonetheless. And what he did was he um, divided up you know, his life into childhood, adolescence and adulthood. And he took a day on each one and asked God to show him any sins that he had committed during that time. And he wrote them all down. And then he took that piece of paper and he brought it to a friend, you know, someone he could really trust. And he read out all the sins, you know, and he didn't try and justify himself or explain it. He just held his hands up. He took responsibility and he said, I have sinned. And he, his friend took the piece of paper and he prayed with him and, you know, assured him of God's forgiveness. And he took the piece of paper and ripped it into pieces and threw it away. And Richard Foster says he experienced a new freedom following this sheer act of obedience. And he moved in spiritual disciplines in ways he had never done before. And actually more than that, his friend was led to confess and find freedom from a sin that had been deeply troubling him. You know, I in the past have been convicted and felt God telling me to confess certain things to a certain person. And it wasn't even that it was necessarily something I had done wrong against that person. Some of these things were things away in the past, not things I was currently doing or really feared that I would do again. But because God was prompting me to do it, I did obey. So for example, before Stefan and I got married, I didn't want our marriage relationship to be tainted by anything I had done previously. And so I confessed, you know, not every little detail of everything I felt that I had done wrong, but kind of maybe relevant things um, and, you know, enough for him to get the idea of any things that I had done that I felt wouldn't have been pleasing behaviour before God. And actually, the funny thing is, because I checked with Stefan whenever I was about to put this in, you know, and when I was preparing, I asked him, you know, did he remember it? And he says he doesn't actually really remember it. So it wasn't even, you know, sometimes it's not for the other person's benefit. It's actually for our benefit. He doesn't really remember it, but it doesn't change the fact that I was freed from those sins. And so was our relationship. You know, I've also felt prompted to send a random message to a friend, apologizing for times in the past when I felt our relationship, you know, maybe wasn't on good terms or I was being a bit hostile. Even though we actually currently were on good terms, it was just something that I felt, you know, I needed to acknowledge and apologize and say sorry for. You know, and those are just some examples, you know, those are... um. Yeah, just some examples of how I've experienced that, you know, prompting of the spirit to to apologize and to confess, you know, and yes, it's awkward and it goes against every natural human instinct. You know, every fiber of your natural being is telling you, don't be so stupid. You don't need to tell anybody about this. It's not even that big a deal. Or maybe the devil is telling you this is too big a deal. What will they think of you? But once it's done, the devil is completely disarmed. He can't throw those sins back in your face the way he could before. And the other thing is that if it's a sin that you're very much struggling with in the present, you have accountability. You have that added level of protection against committing the same sin again. 
you know, especially if it is something that you have been going about in an endless cycle, you know, you keep confessing it before God, you keep asking for forgiveness, but maybe you just don't, you haven't really experienced that assurance of forgiveness in your heart. Maybe you need to confess it to someone to break that cycle and for the power of God's forgiveness to really break through into your heart. You know, be wise and led by the Holy Spirit in this. I don't think there's a particular formula to do in it. I read a few books and some of them suggested formats such as going through the Ten Commandments and confessing how you have sinned in each one. You know, where we had Richard Foster's example of how he divided um, his life up into the three time periods and really examined them. You know, the Spirit may lead you to do something similar. But the most important thing is to ask the Holy Spirit to help you, to help you lay bare your heart before God and to search every part for the hidden areas of sin and shame. You know, we see that in Psalm 139. So if we just turn to it. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, ask the Spirit to show you, is there anything in your heart that would be offensive to God? You know, David, the psalmist, was described as a man after God's own heart. But this didn't mean he was perfect. In fact, he sinned just like the rest of us do. And he even committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband Uriah killed. But when that sin was eventually revealed to him, he was quick to acknowledge it. He says in 2 Samuel 12, 13, I have sinned against the Lord. He had a heart willing to repent and we read his heart's cry of repentance in Psalm 51. So we'll just turn to Psalm 51 as well. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, only you, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners 
will return to you. You know, that's just a beautiful example of repentance in the Bible. You know, that godly grief and crying out to God and we, we acknowledge and we take responsibility for our sin. You know, yes, there may be things in our past, there may be traumas and hurts that, you know, maybe have made it more difficult for us to break out of our sin but we still have to confess and take responsibility for our part in it without excuse. You know, I have sinned. I have sinned against the Lord. And the powerful thing about that is in verse 13, it says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. You know, when we experience that true forgiveness of God leading to life and to freedom, then we are able to extend that to others so that they can also be free from their sin. You know, if we pray that prayer to God, you know, search me and know me and see if there's anything in me that offends you, you know, you will know when the Spirit is prompting you and convicting you about a certain sin. And so be wise and be led by him in who you confess it to. You know, if it is in this church and you decide you need to bring out into the light something that you have been convicted about, be assured that David or Linda or anyone else in a leadership or a prayer ministry capacity will not greet you with judgment. You know, they themselves know that grace and forgiveness Um, know the grace and forgiveness they have received and they stand not in any righteousness or good works of their own but only because of Jesus you know without Jesus we are all myself included and more than anyone hopeless sinners I believe that if the church really started taking repentance and confession seriously we would see a huge shift in the power of God at work amongst us you know we can't pray for revival and neglect repentance. James 5, 16 again says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You know, that's something we long for. We long for that great power in our prayers to see change, to see God at working, working in lives, but it's only going to come if we have confessed our sins and laid our hearts bare before God. If we have confessed our sins, then our prayer will have power. Second Chronicles 7 and 14. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locust to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place for I now have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever my eyes and my heart will be there for all time So we can see that our prayers will not only have power in freeing ourselves from sin, we also have 
you know, the ability God gives us that gift then to share that with others and we can free our brothers and sisters from sin. But our prayers also will be so powerful that we will be able to have power to heal our land. You know, and that's, that's what we're here for. That's, you know, the vision of our church here in Table. It is to heal Tandragee, to extend that power of life and forgiveness to the people living in that town. So we really need to, you know, we need to take repentance seriously if we want to see that happening. You know, I pray that Table will become a place where the eyes of God will be open and his ears will be attentive to the prayers that are made here. And that is only going to happen if we repent. He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Repent. I just want to to pray as I finish. Lord, we just pray that, you know, people would have ears to hear and really listen to what it says in your word. Lord, though it's, it's not an easy truth, it's not a, an easy thing to think of, you know, to make ourselves vulnerable, to open up and to admit the things that we do wrong, Lord, but it's so important, Lord, and I just... Yeah, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be working on people's hearts, Lord, just convicting sin, Lord. I pray that for myself as well, Lord, that I would, yeah, just take me to a deeper level of repentance, Lord. Take each one of us to a deeper level of repentance where we really search our hearts so that our hearts can be made clean and pleasing before you, Lord, so that we can have power. We can have power to see you at work in our town, see you at work in our lives, among the people around us, Lord. See you changing those hopeless situations around us, Lord, those situations that, that we cry out onto you for, Lord. I pray that, yeah, you would just make us right before you, align our will with yours, Lord, so that we can see you working in power, Lord. We just thank you. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, on the cross through whom all of this is possible.